Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Well, all right. Good morning, One Life Church. It's so good to have you with us today. If I've not had the opportunity to introduce myself, my name is Rhett. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is the joy of my life to get to serve you. And uh, just so excited about today. Um, Hey, before we jump into our message today, I want to do something we do every single Sunday, and that is as I'm looking into the camera, I want to welcome our online church family. Come on, all those at the Civic Center, throw your hands together today. Welcome our online church family with us right now. Let them know how much you love them. Yeah, so it's so cool to have you join us, however you found us. We're so thankful that you are along for the ride. A couple things I want to uh, just remind all of us, if you haven't already forgotten, or if you haven't remembered, check this out, next Sunday, everybody, Easter Sunday. Can you believe it? Easter's already here, everybody. And so next Sunday, we've got two identical services at 9.30 and 11 a.m., and they're going to be a lot of fun. And I just want to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, invite a family member, invite a friend uh, to come and to join you. And I would honestly encourage you maybe to invite someone who you know maybe doesn't have a relationship with God or hasn't walking with Christ, or maybe someone who's walked away and hadn't been to church for a long time. There's something powerful that happens on Easter Sunday when we gather together, not only as the body of Christ here locally in Nampa, but the big See church, when we gather globally around the world and we celebrate the risen, exalted Savior of the world. Come on. It is the celebration of all celebrations. It is the Super Bowl Sunday for church, if I'm just calling it like it is, right? Uh, and so everybody just seems to show up at one time on that Sunday morning. So I want you to just know that everybody, whether you're on the dream team or not, you are commissioned as a greeter in this house, okay? So as we get into next Sunday, I just want to encourage you and invite, invite, invite. Be friendly. You are a friendly church and just love people and serve people. Last year, we had about over 24 people make decisions for Jesus alone through our Easter services. That's a great place to put your hands together. Amen. It's pretty cool. And so it's an excellent opportunity. It's probably one of your easiest invites all year to uh, invite somebody to come check out what God is doing here at the Civic Center. One thing we're really excited about, not only are we going to have some fun things in store for that Sunday, but the following Sunday, we do this on purpose, uh, we're intentionally having a water baptism service, everybody, the following Sunday, because oftentimes, you know, you hear me say, we are a next steps church, and I really mean that. We are a next steps church, and so we want to offer as many opportunities as we can for people people to follow the Lord's example in water baptism, and it's just a great opportunity following Easter Sunday, knowing that there will be many people making decisions for Christ on Easter Sunday, but this is an opportunity for you as well. Some of you are in this church today, you're watching us online, and at some point in the last six months to a year, maybe you've rededicated your heart to Christ, or maybe you came home and came into a relationship with God for the first time, and you have yet to take your next step in water baptism. Now, what is it? The basic way that I try to explain it is like, it's the marriage band of Christianity. So I wear this wedding band on my hand to represent the fact that I'm taken, that my life is given over to my beautiful, courageous, brave 
wife, Linda. So this is what this ring represents. It doesn't make me more or less married. It just says, hey, it represents something. It says, I am taken. I am married. And so what water baptism says, you know what? I am taken. I am married to Christ Jesus. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. There was a moment that my, my, my confession to Christ was private. It was between me and him. But then there is a moment you've got to go public with your faith to demonstrate to the world, you know what? I have decided to follow. Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, go to olc.church and register for the baptism. Some of you have been baptized in your life before, but maybe it wasn't very meaningful. Maybe it happened when you were younger and it was just maybe a part of of tradition. And maybe now you're like, you know what? It would really mean something for me now in my walk, in my relationship with God to take that next step. And I want to encourage you. The Bible doesn't teach us how many times we need to be baptized. It just says, be baptized. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are on your faith journey, this is your next step as a follower of Christ. So you can register online. And whether or not you register, we're still going to be ready for you. But if you could register at our website, click the link or the button that looks like that and register. It just helps us to prepare a little bit more with excellence. We will be doing baptism after each service on the 24th. So it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, you guys, we're a message note-taking church. Where are my note-takers at in the house? Can I hear a good amen from all note-takers? So if you're new here, we love taking notes. In fact, you can text OLC Notes to 94000 and get the message notes right to your phone. You can click on that. Having a, uh, it gives you the ability to follow along. also gives you the ability to fill in the blank. And I love it because you can save it as a PDF so you can reference it later. Uh, my job as your friend today isn't just to inspire you. I mean, that is a part of what I get to do. I want to encourage you in the things of God, but I also want to put some tools in your hands to help you live this out in a very practical way Monday through Saturday. And so go ahead and text OLC notes to 94,000. Okay, so we're not in a series today. We're just kind of doing what I would call a standalone message. And the title of today's message is For You and I. And uh, I'll get into more of the details of why it's called that near the end of the message. But I love this verse. As I was reading scripture this week, this verse came to me. It's a very powerful verse. And it's a great reminder to all of us of why Jesus came. Look at John 10, 10. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and you may have it to the full. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, I didn't just come to die on a cross, to raise again, to ascend to heaven, just to pay for your sins. I came so that you can experience life and life to the fullest, not only in heaven for eternity, but you can experience heaven on earth today. This is a great This is a great promise from God. And so he's basically saying in your mind, in your body, in your soul, in your spirit, you can experience life, but not only life, but life to the fullest in abundance in every way. You can experience fulfillment through Christ. And I love this. And in fact, there is no greater joy that you will ever experience this side of heaven than walking in a relationship with God. Look at, I love what David said. He says this in Psalm 1611. David is saying, you will show me the way of life. Notice he didn't say, you might show me, no, but you will. Like, this is a promise. You will show me, God, the way of life. And I love this. He's he's telling us the, the byproduct of walking with God, granting me the joy. Everybody say joy. The joy, like it's not something we have to endure walking with God. No, it is the joy of our life, David says. You grant me the joy of your presence and the pleasures. Everybody say pleasures. 
It's life, right? Life to its abundance, the pleasures of life, living with you forever. What is David saying? David's simply saying, hey, my joy doesn't depend on my circumstances. My joy comes from being and walking in a relationship with my God. In other words, my joy comes from moving where I am to where God wants me to be. The way we like to say it here is my joy comes when I am walking on and taking next steps on my spiritual journey. And so whether or not you recognize this or not, every single one of us have a spiritual journey. You can look from cover to cover, from the beginning of the Bible, from Genesis, all the way to the back of the book, Revelation. And you can see that God wants to take you and I on a spiritual journey. Now, if you don't believe that, that's okay. It still doesn't change the fact that the truth is God has a spiritual journey for you and I to go on. And as even sociologists and psychologists have discovered, they actually call it, there's this life of transcendence. In other words, there's this life of purpose. It's like your life will never make sense. Your life will never experience fulfillment this side of heaven until you see it and experience the purpose that God has for you. Look at Proverbs 29, 18 to set this up. God says, if my people can't see what he's doing, like if you can't see that God has a spiritual journey for you, like if you not only can't see what he's doing, the path of light that he wants to take you on, look at what happens. Oftentimes, many of us come to a place where we stumble all over ourselves. But the good news is, if we not only see what God is doing, but notice this, but if we'll attend to what he reveals, in other words, if we'll move from where we are to where God wants us to be, if we'll take next steps on our spiritual journey, look at the byproduct, they are most blessed. Everybody say blessed. Blessed. God wants you to live a blessed life. And it's my hope as your friend today that that you not only see what God is doing and what's to do, but my hope is that you'll begin to take a step to attend what he reveals. My hope is that you would begin to take a step on your spiritual journey. In fact, every message that I ever bring is always going to bring us back around four things that we do as a church. And it's not four things that we just decided made up. It's four things that we've discovered through God's word that God wants to take each and every one of us on. And that is the way we like to say it here is that if you're taking notes, you can write it down this way, is God's spiritual journey for your life starts with knowing God. Then he wants to take you on this process of finding freedom, discovering your purpose, and ultimately making a difference with your life. Now, this no God, notice the, we're not saying like know your church or no religion. This word no is more of this intimate knowing, this authentic coming into a relationship with God. And it's beautiful because all four of these aren't like destination points. Like this is a continual journey. So like I know God differently now today at 44 than I knew God at 16 years old. And so this knowing God, building this relationship with God, taking these, uh, this journey and step by step, even finding freedom. Finding freedom isn't a destination. Finding freedom is something that just continues to happen in your life as you grow as a Christian in your walk with God. As you're building a relationship with him and knowing God, you're beginning to find freedom in areas of your life from your past that have kind of held you down in bondage. And then this whole idea of discovering purpose. Did you know that my purpose is different now at 44 than it was at 16 years old? Like your purpose begins to change and transition as you grow and mature, not only in your life and in age, but it begins to grow and mature even in your faith. But this is the journey. We come into knowing God and we're in that process. And in knowing God, we're finding freedom from our past so we can see the significance of our future. We're beginning to discover different things about our giftings and our callings and different seasons of life that God has 
put us in, but in every season, God has called us to ultimately make a difference with our life because it's when we're making a difference, living on purpose for a purpose, that is where we experience the fulfilled life, the blessed life, the transcendent life that many of us so desire in our hearts. Now, out of all these journeys, we're going to be talking about a lot of this today, but really where I want to hone down on is uh, basically, you know, the second step of that second process of the journey, which is called finding freedom. Today, we're going to talk about the freedom that is provided through Christ for you and I. And so if you've been with us for a while, you'll notice a lot of times when we're talking about finding freedom, you know, the primary way we help you do that here at One Life Church is through small groups. How about say small groups? Small groups are groups that are small to create an opportunity for you to connect in community. Why is that important to finding freedom? Because James 5, 16, not on the screen, you can write that down, extra note takers. It says, you know, if you'll basically find a community in a safe place where you can confess your sins one to another, why? Pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. This is what scripture teaches. So small groups play an important role in us finding freedom in our life. But the greatest way you and I will ever find freedom Freedom, my friends, is through the power of the cross. It's the power of Christ and the power of the cross. And so over the next few minutes, I want to help describe to you the power of the cross. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 18. Now, when it comes to the power of the cross or even the message of the cross, Scripture teaches us, it says, for the message of the cross, uh, this is foolishness to those who are perishing. Like to the world, oh man, those are just a bunch of crazy Christians. Like it's foolishness to the world, but to us, to the men and women of God at One Life Church, to us who are being saved, who are walking on their spiritual journey of knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose, and making a difference with their life, well, to us, it is the very power of God. My friends, a great reminder, Jesus did come, yes, to die on the cross to pay for our sins, but there is more. He came to give us life. He came for us to experience the power and authority that comes through a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and the power that we see demonstrated on the cross. He died so that we could experience heaven on earth, everyone. Let's look at Revelation 12, 10. We're flipping to the back of the Bible. It says, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, and he's referencing Jesus Christ's return here. And he says, it has come at last. What? Salvation, the forgiveness of sins. But wait, there's more, everybody. And the power, everybody say power. And power, the kingdom of our God, and the authority, everybody say authority. Authority of his Christ. Power and authority. Salvation, power, and authority. So many of us were saved in this room, maybe joining us online. We're saved. We love God. Like, we believe that we're going to experience heaven and eternal life, and it's going to be beautiful. But I'm just here to remind us all today as your friend that God wants us to experience more than just salvation. He wants us to experience freedom and the power and authority that comes from walking with God and his son, Christ Jesus, in our lives this side of heaven the power of the cross. But we have someone trying to stand in the way from keeping us experiencing this. Look at the rest of the verse. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's the enemy, that's the devil. He has been thrown down to earth and he's the one who accuses them before our God day and night. So he's trying to stand in the way 
of the power and authority that God has for you and I. But check this out. But us, they, the men and women of God. You ready for this? Good news, everybody. We have defeated him. How? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Come on, somebody say this out loud. There is power in the blood. There is power in the blood. There is power in the cross of Jesus Christ. So as we're preparing for what many would call Passion Week or Holy Week, we're reminded that uh, we're coming upon Good Friday this Friday. And, you know, we often reference Good Friday as a Friday that was good. And here's the truth. It was good for us. It wasn't so much good for Jesus. It was a horrific moment and he was executed in a horrific way. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But, but on the Thursday night before Good Friday somewhere around 9 p.m., actually a little bit before 9 p.m., we would have found Jesus having his, what we call the last supper or the last meal that he would have hung out with his disciple, breaking bread and drinking wine and having a good time, right? And one of those disciples in that moment would have deserted Jesus, and he had already betrayed him in his heart. His name was Judas Iscariot. And during that meal, Judas would have walked out to go and to betray Jesus to the religious leaders and teachers of that day who were out to basically kill and get rid of Jesus, who was calling himself the Christ. And so what we see is Judas going out and meeting with the elders and the religious leaders and saying, look, you know, I know where he is. In fact, if I show him to you and I take you to him, I need you to pay me a lot of money. So they came up with this business transaction and Judas made a lot of money in the deal. And so move a little bit forward on that evening around about nine o'clock, Judas knew exactly where Jesus would be because Jesus had a favorite spot that he loved to pray. It was called the Olive Garden, everybody. Come on. Jesus was Italian. Who knew? Right? No. Is the, garden, uh, is the Garden of Gethsemane, everybody. Garden of Gethsemane. And so Jesus was there. He was aligning his heart with God and preparing for the pain that he was about to endure. And Judas that night brought the, the religious leaders to Jesus and had a sign, kissed him on the cheek. And basically at that point, the road to the cross began for Jesus. And this happened around 9 p.m. And this is kind of what we're going to journey today as we kind of go through the rest of the verse. So the Bible says in Matthew 26, 59 through 60, look at this. It says, now the chief priest, the elders, and all the council, they sought false testimony. Now time out for a second. Why would they try to seek out false testimony? Well, the reason is because Jesus was a man of integrity and honor and truth. There was nothing false against him. So they had to go out and look for it. In fact, history would even tell us that they actually paid for false witnesses against him. They paid people to make up lies against him. Okay. And so against Jesus, they were trying to find some kind of false thing against him to put him to death. But look, they found none. But then the Bible goes on in the rest of the verse and it actually finds something that Jesus was guilty of. Look at this. Matthew 26, 63 through 64, 67. So they tell Jesus, tell us if you're the Christ. Time out. By the way, this word Christ, it simply means, are you the one who has the power to set us free? This is what Christ means. Are you the one? Tell us if you are to have the power of God to set us free. Are you the son of God? And Jesus says, yes, I'm guilty of that. It is. It is, as you have said. And it goes on to say, then they spit in his face. They beat him and others struck him with the palm of their hands. And this is where Jesus began the road to the cross of experiencing the worst execution in human history. Now, as I begin to think of... (laughs) Like, why in the world would God choose this moment in time to send his one and only son 
to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Like, why is that? Have you ever wondered that question? Because think about it. Like, God could have waited. He could have chosen any moment in time. But he actually chose that moment in time. Like, if he came today, think about it. Worst case scenario, we, we killed Jesus through what? Lethal injection, Right? But it was interesting. I believe and I think that God looked at the timeline of every generation and thought, you know what? I'm going to choose this specific time in history where execution is the worst to show my love for humanity. So Jesus dies a horrific death. And what blows my mind, and as you read the Bible, this just floors me. You're going to see this verse and you're going to see it where we are in the time frame of the day. But there was a man named Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. Now, Isaiah lived 800 years, everybody. 800 years before Jesus Christ would have shown up on the scene. And what's interesting about Isaiah is that God gave him a vision. And Isaiah saw in specific detail everything that Jesus would endure some 800 years later. Look at this, Isaiah 53, 5. Isaiah saw in a vision from God. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, or some translations would say stripes, by his stripes, we are healed. And so four things that Christ experienced on the cross that Isaiah saw some 800 years before Jesus. Four things Christ experienced to bring freedom for you and I. We're going, to do, we're going to take a look at this, and I'm going to give them to you chronologically. So the first thing that would have ever happened in a Roman execution at this point would have been whipping and scourging. So Jesus ends up being executed by the Romans. And so basically what happened at this point, I don't know if you've ever heard of the word the cat of nine tails, but the cat of nine tails would have been, you know, um, basically they had a handle of about two feet long where they would have taken both hands and gripped it around that. There would have been these leather straps. There would have been nine of them. They would have used horse hair to tie bone, to tie rock, to tie glass, to tie wire to the leather straps. And not only that, they would have, after they've done that, they would have taken the cat of nine tails and they would have put it in basically a bucket of water and they would have made it heavy and weighed it down. And then as the Romans would take it, what they would do is they would yank it, put it into the skin of Jesus and they would yank down on it, and then they would pull back. And as you can only imagine with the bone and the glass and the wire, the mutilation of the flesh that would be happening in that scene. And they would do it 13 times on his left shoulder, 13 times down his right shoulder, and 13 times down the middle of his spine. Roman law would only allow them to do it 39 times, because oftentimes men would die if they began to do it any more than that. And so why did all of this have to happen to Jesus? That's the question. Why did it have to happen to Jesus? Well, Isaiah told us, and if you're filling in blanks today and following along in your notes, write this down. The whip or the cat of nine tails was meant to bring us freedom or healing in our body. Remember, Isaiah said, by his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. So Jesus not only died to pay for our sins, my friends, but Jesus died on the cross to pay for your healing. Jesus died. Every wound, every stripe represents the healing that he wants to bring into your life. You know, oftentimes as a pastor, I'm asked the question, Pastor Red, I mean, does God still heal today? And I would say, yes, absolutely. He is the great physician. Jesus healed then, and the word of God says, he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We serve a healing God, everyone. 
And that's a great statement to make, but then often the next question is, if somebody's bold enough and honest to ask it, they're like, then why doesn't God heal everybody? And the honest answer to that is, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know, my friends, is that God does heal. He does heal. Sometimes it's on earth, but sometimes it's in heaven. In fact, this reality and this truth never became more real to my wife and I than in Easter 2013. Around Easter 2013, my wife and I got the call that no child ever wants to get and the call that we got from her parents then living in Texas where, hey, Linda's dad has been diagnosed with cancer and he's been given only several months to live. And that was hard to process. And then obviously we're, we're believers and we believe what I'm teaching you today, that by his stripes we are healed and we were trying to encourage and uplift and pray and get everybody together and pray. And we were believing God and we were, you know, coming to Christ and just believing and just asking God for healing. And the beautiful thing is that six months later, he went back to the doctor and according to doctor's evidence, the tumor was gone. He was healed. Come on, everybody. That's an amazing thing. He was completely healed. But then six months later went by because, you know, obviously you were doing due diligence and wanting to keep going to the doctor to make sure nothing's returned. And then six months later, the doctor's like, I don't know how, but the cancer has returned. In fact, it's worse. And he's got three months to live now. And here we are experiencing the healing of God. And now here we are right back in the same boat, like what is going on? And by the grace of God, he didn't only just live three months. By the grace of God, the Lord allowed him to live another two years before he received his ultimate healing, which wasn't on this side of heaven like we would have loved to have had happen. But he received his heaven, his healing in heaven. And so why doesn't God heal everyone? I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is the power of the verse of 1 Peter 2.24. And this is what I trust in. He says, he himself bore our sin in his body on the cross. Why? So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And notice he didn't just die to pay for our sins. No, it says, by his wounds, you have been healed. Past tense, you have been healed. And so if you're here today, you're dealing with something in your body, I want you to know that Jesus Christ paid a high price for your healing. There is healing by every stripe, every cat and nine tail whip and pull in his body. There is power in the blood of Jesus, everybody. There's power in his blood. Second thing that would have happened in this execution wouldn't have just been the scourging or the whipping, but the Romans, actually, they probably never did this to anybody else. And it's interesting because historians will tell you that this was not normal in Roman execution. But what happened to Jesus is that they took him behind the scenes and they took him into what they called the praetorium. And that was kind of like the locker room environment of the tent or the frat house of the Roman guards. And there they would have mocked him <laughs> In fact, uh, scripture teaches us they found a purple robe. They put the purple robe on Jesus and they began to go, all hell, the king of the Jews. They began to mock him. They actually blindfolded him and they would take a rod and they begin to beat him and spit on him. And they were like, if you're a prophet, tell us who hit you. And so they began this horrific event. And scripture teaches us that Jesus was silent. He didn't respond. He was innocent. He was quiet. He was like a lamb being led to the slaughter, Scripture teaches us. And in that moment in the praetorium, there somebody thought it would be a, a fun, cruel joke to create a crown. And this crown was made out of two-inch thorns. 
And they took a crown of two inch thorns and they placed it on Jesus' head. And not just placed it, but they shoved it through his skull that the, end, that, the, that the thorns would have gone through his skull into his brain. And can you just imagine the intensity, the pain, the anxiety, the stress, and just the blood beginning to drip down his head at that point? And as I began to think about this, I was thinking, you know, why? Like, what, what do we typically experience? Where do we experience pain? Where do we experience anxiety? Where do you and I experience the most stress in our lives physically? Oftentimes, we would say it would be, it would be in our mind. And that's why, number two, what do the thorns represent? The thorns represent freedom in our mind. Jesus died not only to pay for sins, but to bring freedom in our mind. And 800 years before even seeing Jesus or knowing Isaiah had a vision and and the punishment that brought us peace, he says. See, Jesus didn't just bring us salvation. He just didn't bring us forgiveness of sins. Now look at this, John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. Everybody say peace. peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace, my peace. I give you. As if to say, if you're not experiencing peace, then you're not experiencing the best that I've come to bring you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So if you're worried, if you're stressed, if you're anxious for whatever may be going on in your life, maybe a bad doctor's report or maybe whatever is happening at work or on the job or in your marriage, I just want you to know that the power of the blood of Christ Jesus was not only for your salvation, was not only for your sins, but was also that you could experience peace on earth. Love Isaiah. Look at this. Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind, whose thoughts stayed on you. And this is my hope for you as a friend today. My hope is that you begin to experience the peace of God in your mind as you trust in him. So I'm basically giving you four things that Christ experienced to bring you freedom The whip, what was that for? It was to bring freedom into your body, healing into your body. The thorns, what was that for? It was to bring freedom and peace into your mind. Here's the third thing. So after the crown on his head, then Jesus would have been forced to carry his cross to the place of the skull, which we know as Golgotha, Golgotha. And there he would have been nailed to the cross in his hands and his feet. And then it would even tell us, Roman execution would tell that they would bend the, the person's knees just a little bit. Because the goal of crucifixion wasn't just death. The goal was suffocation. Because they bend his knees a little bit. And you remember the cat of nine towels, um, 13 whip on this side, 13. All his muscles were gone. He had no way of lifting up. So they bend his knees just enough to where he could push up. (gasps) Just enough to take a breath. And remember, the cat of nine towels also went down the middle of his spine. So every time (gasps) he would try to pull up the splinters on the wood would continue to go down the middle of his back. As I began to think about the hands and the feet, like what do they represent? Well, the hands always represent what you've done. Your feet always represent the places you've gone. Hands represent what you've done. Your feet represent where you've gone. And that's why, number three, if you're taking notes, the nails that Jesus experienced were freedom in your hands. Says he was pierced for our transgressions. God has brought you freedom from everything that you've ever done or every place you've ever gone too far. Jesus Christ has paid it all. 
Jesus has paid it all. I love this great news. Hebrews 8, 12, everybody. (laughs) Jesus says, not only will I forgive your sins, look at this, I will forgive their wickedness, but I will remember their sins no more. Now, this is hard for us to understand, isn't it? Why is this hard for us to understand? It's because we're human. And in our human capacity, we don't allow ourselves to forget the sins and the stupid we've all done. It's one of the hardest things that I, I get to live out of my life is trying to forget the things that I've done in my life, the pain, the shame, and the guilt. And what happens oftentimes is because we can't forget, we stay trapped in a mental prison of shame and guilt. And I just want you to know that the blood of Jesus not only forgives us our sins, the blood of Jesus not only remembers them no more, but you ready for this? The blood of Jesus gives us power to purify our minds. Look at this, Hebrews 9, 14. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will also purify our conscience from the shame, from the sinful deeds, so that we can worship the living God. Many of us, man, we love God, our sins are forgiven, but we're struggling. We're still carrying the weight of the pain, the guilt, and the shame from everything that our hands have ever done. And Jesus wants to free you and I of that guilt. How? Through the power of the cross, through the power of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So finally, it had been about the ninth hour, around sometime around 3 p.m., Jesus would have breathed his last breath and he would have been, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last breath and he died. And at that moment, the guards looking up at Jesus would have wanted to verify that he was dead. And so scripture tells us that they would have taken a spear, placed it underneath his rib cage, right a little bit below his heart. And what they would do is they would puncture and pierce into Jesus's heart. And then what would happen is the water and blood, Scripture says, began to erupt from Jesus' chest cavity. Now, we didn't know it then, but we know it now. Medical science actually proves that the heart was already ruptured if there was blood and water already in it. So did Jesus die by blood loss? Did he die by pain? Did he die by suffocation? No. According to medical science, Jesus died of a broken heart. His heart had erupted. Jesus' heart was broken for humanity, for you and I. He was crushed, not for his iniquities. He was crushed for our iniquities. And I just wonder how many of us in this room, if we're honest, have had our heart crushed. Maybe through the pain of betrayal, maybe through a horrific divorce, Maybe your heart has been crushed by disappointment. Maybe your heart has been crushed by a relationship with a loved one who's walked out on you or whatever it might be. I just wonder how many of you, if you're honest, would say, you know what, my heart has been crushed. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus chose to experience his heart being crushed so that you could find freedom, so that you could find healing in your heart, in your difficult moments. That's why the spear, number four, the spear represents freedom in my heart. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus died to heal our broken hearts. Psalm uh, 147 verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. 
my friends and family, Jesus not only died to pay for your sins, Jesus died to bring freedom into your body, healing. Jesus died to bring peace into your mind. Jesus died to bring freedom from your guilt of your past. And Jesus died ultimately to bring healing into your heart. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Nobody looking around in this moment. God, I thank you so much for paying such a high price through your son Jesus to die on a cross and experience the most excruciating torment a man has ever experienced for us, for our freedom, for our healing. It blows our mind. And today, as we're reminded of this, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for paying a price that we were meant to pay. Thank you for choosing to love us unconditionally. That while we were even still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. And Jesus endured the pain of the cross for the joy that was set before him. And that joy was the men and women in this room and online. And I want to say thank you for seeing us, for loving us, for dying for us, for saving us, for healing us through the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today, as we remember, we reflect, I'd be remiss if I didn't give somebody an opportunity today to be able to experience a relationship with God through Jesus, to be able to experience the power of the cross and resurrection in your own life. Some of you in this room today, you've walked away from God and it's time to come home. It's time to renew your commitment to Christ in a relationship with him. Some of you in this room today or even online, you've never began a relationship with God and today is the day, now is the time. Romans 10, 9 says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God sent Jesus to die on the cross to forgive you of your sins, not only would he forgive you, but that he would save you. You'd begin to experience heaven on earth as well as an eternal life with him. And so wherever you are, whoever you are, it'd be the joy of my life to be able to lead you in a simple prayer. And it's not about the words, it's simply about a heart that connects with God. And if you're here today, and you want to begin or come home and begin a relationship with Christ, it'd be my honor to pray for you. Now, church family, we're a family. Families pray together. So I don't want anybody to feel alone in this moment. So could I ask and encourage everybody to pray with me this prayer, maybe for the first time. Just say, God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving me by offering Jesus as a sacrifice for my sins. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And today, I give you my life because you gave me yours. Forgive me. Change me. Come live on the inside of me. I give you permission to help me take a step closer to you today and every day. I love you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. And now everybody remain in this moment of worship right now. Nobody moving around. We're going to end this service a little bit differently than we normally would. What I want to do today is I want to close this service by remembering what Christ has done for us through what the Bible teaches us is communion. Communion. You can look up. You can, yeah, you can look up now. We're not praying anymore. And so if you'll notice, 
underneath your seat is a little cup that looks just about like this. And I would encourage every single person in this room today to grab that. And by the way, if for some reason there isn't one of these under your seat, would you just be so kind to raise your hand right now? We're not going to embarrass you, but our ushers are going to look for your hand. And we're just going to make sure that we, get, we serve you with the elements. If I don't see any hands, I believe everyone has been served, and that is good. And so communion, what is it? It's simply a moment that we take together as a family to remember what Christ has done. Now, I just preached the message about what Christ did, and now we're going to take time on a personal level and reflect. Now, I do want to give some instructions. If you're in this room and you're not a Christian today, and maybe you chose not to say that prayer, or maybe you don't believe everything that I've said, I want you to know that's totally fine. We just love you, and we're glad that you're here. But I don't want you to feel any pressure or obligation to partake in this. And here's why. Because this is something that's holy and sacred, according to Scripture, between a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you're a follower of Christ today, and you love God, and you've said that prayer, and you meant it with all your heart, then this opportunity is for you. So I want to read this verse out of 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 26, Paul giving us instructions. He said, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. And you do this, do this in remembrance of me. You'll notice there's a little flap. You can pull that back and there's a little wafer there. This is your moment that you can take this and remember what Christ has done. If you wanna go ahead, you can also peel back that next layer that will actually give you access to the juice. Now, if the bread represents life and the juice represents the blood, it represents the power of Christ. And I want you to know there's nothing holy about this bread or this juice. It's just juice, everybody, okay? But what it represents is so symbolic of what Christ did for us on the cross. It represents the forgiveness of our sins. It represents the healing in our body. It represents the peace that God has wanted to give us in our minds. And it ultimately represents the healing that he wants to give us in our hearts. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this. And whenever you drink, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink. I want to pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for your presence today. We remember what you've done for us. You're a good father. You are kind. You are loving. You are gracious. And we are so incredibly thankful for your son, Jesus. Jesus, we believe you're the son of God. We believe you died, you rose again, and you ascended to heaven, and you sent us the promised Holy Spirit. Today, we know that, God, your promise says that you are going to come back and redeem us. You're going to restore us, not only spiritually, but even physically, and we long for that day. And until that day, we'll continue to take communion and remember what you've done in your promise of returning. So until then, God, we give our lives to knowing you. We give our lives, Father God, to making a difference 
in every area of our life, in our marriage, in our home, in our finances, on the job, in our relationships. We love you and we thank you. We honor you today and we remember you as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together today and celebrate all that God has done, everybody? Amen. Come on.